huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm John, and that is Dan. Hey, everyone. Uh, Syracuse, according to Jim Harbaugh, Syracuse took part in the Super Bowl today, so congrats. Yeah. Man, Jim Harbaugh. We discussed this last week, but he is just... He's a content machine, and I, I was tweeting about this the other day. Like, there's no way Michigan knew it was going to be this, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure they knew that no, he was, was. going to be a lightning rod, <laughs> but but there's no way they knew that he was going to become this. He's a PR machine in, in the case that either Michigan is the story or Harbaugh's comment on a college football happening becomes the story, so Michigan becomes college football. Uh, I love it so much. And I will not speak ill of Mr. Harbaugh. He's done. He's done so much for me. Um, but yeah, it, it's crazy. We touched on it a couple weeks ago. Like he wasn't. He doesn't seem. He didn't seem to be like this at Stanford. I don't know if if he was emboldened by being at his alma mater, or you know, to Stanford just kind of does its thing and wins games and lets everything else kind of just happen around it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's fun. I mean, usually the college football offseason is long and arduous and it's still you know pretty long and and mostly boring but um satellite camps are never a thing people gave any kind of shits about so and nowadays so uh i'm not complaining as someone who has to daily basis i would agree um so yeah you know talking about syracuse football um one of the bigger pieces of news in the past few days um was tommy devito the uh, 2017 quarterback soon to be four star everywhere i'm sure um from New Jersey, Don Bosco. He uh, he made the Elite Eleven, and he'll be uh, he'll be headed to the opening finals up in uh, up in Beaverton. Yeah, and he uh, apparently was like one of everyone's favorite players there. And um, I think basically right as soon as uh, when they were doing the the Bleacher Report rollout of it, um, as soon as Dilfer kind of said, "Oh, there's this guy," or not Dilfer. It, well, he wasn't talking. One of the BR hosts. Uh, said, like, you know, one of the guys who was lower-rated and, you know, we don't hear a lot about. And I thought it was either him or uh, I think it's Jack Sears, who, like, doesn't have a lot of big offers, but he's mm-hmm. starting to catch on big. And then Sears is one of the first guys they announced. So I'm like, is it going to be DeVito? Because, you know, uh, we heard he had a good camp, but we heard the same things about uh, another person in the news today, Zach Allen, a couple years ago. And he ended up missing the cut, and it's fine. You know, what's you're not going to that upset about getting one of the, you know, 24 finalists as opposed to the 12. Um but, I mean, it's it's really, really cool that he uh, he made, you know, they talked about him about as much as they talked about anyone, just because he really made a, made that mark. Um, and he seems, you know, at the moment to be all in on the Q's, so it's definitely a cool thing for the program to have him going up to the opening finals with guys from, like, Michigan and Alabama and another, uh, you know, all the other big programs in the country, and then there's Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I, I talked to him a little bit when I was, uh, you know, down at the event last friday like he definitely seemed like i mean all of them obviously really confident kids but he seemed confident reassured calm like just seemed like the type of character that like is is made for for a d1 program um i saw some passes that he was throwing he really was on the money he was one of the more accurate guys on day one 
Um, at least, you know, you saw a lot of those tweets that started coming in on Friday and just kept going um, as, as attending media kind of increased um, over the course of the weekend, that he just seemed like somebody who, you know, everyone was everyone was at first surprised by, then really impressed by. He uh, he definitely held his own, and, and, and as Bud Elliott always says, you know, if you're going to lock up a quarterback for, for your class and you want it to be like that future starter, do it now um, because the, the, the moves between blue chippers, and, and I'm not calling DeVito a blue chipper uh, just yet, are, are few and far between, but for us, that movement between those blue chippers affects us because um, I think with Babers' offense in place, um, there's a lot, there's a lot smaller list of schools that, that can really steal a quarterback from us now. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to say on Twitter when I, the first reaction, which was so perfectly Syracuse, uh, basically as soon as he was named, it wasn't even like a moment for for most a bunch of people to enjoy it. It was okay. Well, he's going to leave now, right? And I mean, he might. Like, who knows? Um, and, and yesterday, of course, after telling people all for a day, you know, it's probably pretty unlikely that he leaves, all things considered. Um, Alabama flipped a player from uh, – uh, they flipped uh, the kid from Kentucky, yeah. who was uh, – he didn't make the, the – the, he wasn't one of the 12, the 12 elite – the elite 11 just needs to change its name, by the way. Um, one of the 12 elite 11 players, um, but he was in the finals, uh, Matt, jo- Matt Jones – yeah, and uh, so so that happened immediately after. But overall, um, teams tend to lock up their quarterbacks quick uh, because they want to use them as a recruiter and kind of build the, the the class around them. So you don't see a lot of quarterbacks um, flipping, and you don't see a lot of quarterbacks hanging around at the end of processes. And at the same time, that means that the the bid programs do the same thing. So Alabama, they it was kind of surprising that they would go and flip uh, Dylate Jones when they already have uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Um, from Hawaii, who is a four-star kid, and, like, he might end up being the number one quarterback in the whole Elite 11. Uh, and, you know, you have other schools all around, like, Rutgers has their guy, so if you thought, you know, maybe they go after the New Jersey kid, they have one of the other players that was in the uh, the, the 24, this uh, finalist this weekend. Michigan has uh, Dylan, Dylan McCaffrey. Um, they, they, there's just a lot of the quarterbacks that locked up really early, which is good when you get one of those guys, even if they blow up late. So I wouldn't say there's like no chance of someone coming in hard after DeVito and making a, a big push, but I would be more worried if he was a receiver or a, or a tackle or anything else. Quarterbacks, generally, there's there's fewer of them, and there's fewer, um, you know, a lot of guys don't want to don't want to be going into competitions with others. Like they want to be the only guy in their class. So odds are we won't see Syracuse take another one, and hopefully uh, we stick it out with DeVito. And the other thing, like compared to Zach Allen, who we brought up before, obviously he had Marone leave. He was in a come here. There was. Didn't seem to be any question about that. And Marone left, and Hackett left, and that changed the entire situation with, I mean, uh, unless something totally unforeseen happens, you have to assume that it's going to be different this time around. So definitely excited, uh, and hopefully Syracuse fans can enjoy it, um, and hopefully we don't sound stupid and something bad happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm really hoping not. You know, you, you, you saw the, the tweets from, I know uh, Stephen Bailey had a lot of tweets today from, from Paramus. Um, it seemed like there was a lot of conversation going on between uh, the Syracuse staff and uh, and DeVito in particular. I know he's been recruiting a couple local kids hard, um, and he's going to continue to do that. Um, when he spoke to, to Brandon Ross at the site, he, uh, he did say specifically that he was looking for something close by, so I think that does narrow the pool a little bit. Um, like you said, there's less quarterbacks. Um, their movement's just not not as much. I, I think, to be honest, like if you're, if you're a quarterback um, – you have to be salivating at your pro prospects um, if you're in the Babers system. That doesn't mean that it's foolproof. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed anything. But 
um, if you're a guy who wants to be able to put up the numbers where we're, you know, scouts are forced to look at you um, come after your junior year, after your senior year, um, I, I think there's few offenses that set you up better for that um, than, than, than the Dino Babers system here. Um, obviously with the caveat that, you know, again, not a guarantee. You look at um, Baylor quarterbacks are not always guaranteed much and, and perhaps haven't really had the success at the NFL level to warrant this sort of praise. But, um, you know, you got guys like Jimmy Garofalo, Matt Johnson, like these are these are names that, that are either um, already on NFL rosters or, or guys that people just see as, okay, this is someone who can contend for a roster spot. And if that's the end goal for a player, um, you, you have to... You have to give that a chance better than whatever BC's trotting out there, um, you know, more than what Temple is, more than what UConn is, um, and then, you know, comparing us to even bigger programs, like, um, I'd say we'll see what happens with Penn State's offense. It seems like they're upgrading to a spread. Um, I think Pitt, you know, their quarterback situation um, isn't always glowing, especially when they're really, you know, kind of a... a five, six yards in a cloud of dust type offense. So, yeah, I, I, as, as I said right after the Babers hire, uh, this changes recruiting and this changes Northeast recruiting for Syracuse. Um, and I think that the first case of it is going to be being able to, you know, knock on wood, hold on to DeVito. Right. And the, the, uh, the point you made about, like, the Baylor quarterback is interesting. Um, the first thing I'd say is, is, as with, like, a lot of recruiting, the players don't – I think they, they look at, you know, can I get drafted from this place? But they also – will generally believe in their own abilities to carry them through. Um, so even if, like at Baylor, you know, RG3 obviously went second overall, and he looked like he was going to be a star, and then injuries and everything else have kind of derailed him. Um, but then you have Bryce Petty, who got drafted, and I imagine Seth Russell and Jared Stidham will both uh, be drafted at some point eventually. But before that, Baylor was a train wreck um, on the field, as opposed to the current train wreck off the field. Um, so... If DeVito, you know, he can look and say, oh, this, this system has helped a bunch of quarterbacks be very productive, but uh, ultimately, you know, if he believes in his own talents, I, I don't know that, um, you know, the fact that, that none of them have turned into, like, bona fide NFL stars will be a huge, uh, you know, thing that he worries about. Because most of these guys think that, you know, they can become that anyway, and it's just a matter of picking the uh, the right, you know, program to steward them through to it. Um and as we've seen with like guys like Ryan Asib, I mean, he played in a very uh, middling offense for a couple of years. It took him, you know, he had one really great, uh, like let's say, like final eight games, and that probably turned him into uh, a fourth round pick and a guy who we thought might even go earlier than that. And uh, so, if you just have that that flash of ability, and uh, I think Devito probably has the best film I can remember seeing out of a Syracuse recruit. Um, Zach Allen's is really good. Uh, I mean, I really li- loved Helen Edwards. Uh, obviously, he's floating out there in the, the ether of Florida JUCOs <laughs> at this point. Um, but I-, I think DeVito might have, like, the best pure, uh, you know, ball delivery. He, he just throws such a pretty football. Um, so I'm very excited to see what he does when he gets up here in a couple of years, knock on wood. Yeah, I think I'll be interested to see. You know, uh, we've heard Syracuse targeting, you know, in equal parts. Um, pro style and, and dual threat guys. I think that you know Dungey, uh, w- while dual threat was was his calling card and what a lot of people were starting to notice him for. I, I think where, where Eric Dungey, um, you know, the, the presumed starter this season, um, where I think his value really lied, and you saw it in that that stat that David Hale pointed out about you know how he threw under pressure. Um, it, it's that Dungey's arm 
made it so made him able to to find running lanes that others can't like it's one thing if you're a running quarterback and 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 that just allows you to um you know find some easy you know dink and dunk passes you run a west coast style offense in in dungy's case dungy's a very good passer he's a very strong arm he's he was incredibly accurate um last year for a freshman who was really kind of thrown into the fire i think his arm has allowed him to pick up running lanes but at the same time you did see when teams were willing to to really, you know, focus in on stopping him from running. It's not that he did poorly, but he definitely turned into a much less dynamic quarterback. Um, I Babers has largely, you know, stuck around with, with with the guys who were pocket passers first and and, and runners second. Uh, I think Matt Johnson was able to run, but I wouldn't say to to any like great extent. Um, and I don't really have the numbers on Gravolo, but I think I, I would assume not much. But yeah, I, I think Dungey is going to be probably the the most sort of, uh, you know, run-centric quarterback you're going to see from, from Babers, and we're probably going to see a lot more guys like DeVito, who, who could probably move a little bit. He's definitely seemed like he was quick on his feet, but, but like you said, he, he threw a really pretty ball, and, and, and he, he, his accuracy, and it was something that he said he wanted to work on even more. Like, his accuracy was impressive, considering, um, you know, he's just finishing up his junior year of high school. Yeah, I think it's an interesting... It's tough to know, because... Uh, Babers has never really played with his own quarterback recruit. Like, he inherited Garoppolo, which obviously worked out because Garoppolo's awesome. Um, he inherited Matt Johnson, which worked out because Johnson was really good. Um, and they both happen to be more pro-style guys, or if not pro-style, more, you know, pocket passers who played well within the system. Um, Dungy is definitely going to be the most uh, dual threat E. although I, don't, I wouldn't even hesitate to call him that. I, I think uh, we'd all like to see him do, do, like, design runs less. I think... His biggest skill will be uh, not to make like this comparison because it's absurd, and it's also you know one that was made this weekend for Devito, but um, like the Aaron Rodgers type of mobility where you're not looking to run, you can, and you're fast, and you'll burn a defense that way. But you're more looking to extend plays and open up uh, you know mismatches on the outside, and then make you know impressive plays in one-on-one coverage. Um, and that's where I think Dungy will ultimately, hopefully, get if he really pans out. Um, but I don't see a reason why. We can't see uh, a Babers type offense utilize a faster quarterback um, a little bit differently, and uh, he just hasn't really hasn't had that opportunity. So it'll be interesting to see if he makes it a part of the offense at all, or if he you know tries to get Dungey to be a really pure passer who will just escape the pocket when need be. Um, and then we'll also see what the future recruiting holds. Obviously, Devito. It seems like they got a guy you know before he blew up, um, and he like like you said, he seems to be a little less of a runner although he is athletic and probably make some things happen there. But um, I actually think he's probably mechanically more sound than I remember Dungy being at the same level. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think Dungy was was well-regarded coming out of college, but I think he was more regarded for, for his intelligence and ability to, to scramble. I mean, you, I remember when he uh, when he committed, and, and you, know, you and I kind of joked about, you know, this is a Johnny Manziel-type guy, just throwing around the name that people would know. As somebody who could, could could hurdle defenders, do that, and you know he did it in college. But um, at the same time, I think you know Dungy is someone who's developed as a passer, and he's going to develop more. His his strength has gone up over the off season as he's put on uh, good you know muscle and weight. Um, but at, while I, I loved being electrified by the, the plays that he had last year and and, and what he could do, um, and, and while I do think that having a, a, a fast quarterback and one who can run on you definitely takes Babers offense to the next level because it, it, it removes just, you know, usually with, with the Babers offense, you're looking at, you know, your, your two running back system, two really like speedy guys. 
um, who are going to be running on the inside, and then you're usually going four or five wide on the outside, and, and those are the guys you're worried about. Um, you know, you're not really looking at as much tight ends in terms of pass catching options. You're not really looking at fullbacks either. Um, so you're looking at those as terms of speed options. You can keep the speed. Um, you, you, as a defense, you can, you can key in on, on those speed guys, and you're fine. If you add another guy to the equation, I mean, there's only so many um, incredibly fast players that you can have on a defense, and only so much you can account for. And if you add, you know, a guy like Dungy to the mix, who can really be um, kind of an extra weapon and add an extra wrinkle to, to the offense that Babers ran at Bowling Green and ran at Eastern Illinois. Um, I, I think that that's going to be really impressive. All the same, as I was kind of getting to earlier, if, if I never see the play that he had last year where he got completely leveled um, in the open field but managed to toss it to Jordan Fredericks, like if I never see that again, if I never see the goal line uh, hurdle again, that, that's more than fine with me because I'd rather he had a, had a productive um, and, and safe career at, at Syracuse. I, yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> I, I'm all for uh, getting outside the pocket and going up. Maybe you you know have to deal with a cornerback. That's fine. That hurdle was the, uh, everything. All the hits they flashed were so awful. Uh, so yeah, less less of that. It, it's not worth like a 15 yard gain if you're going to get absolutely destroyed on it. So uh, I just don't. I mean, I, it, we don't actually know because Babers' offense, I, I assume, won't be. Uh, I'm sure it'll look a little different than what Bowling Green did, just based on the players that we have. Um, but uh, I, will, I would think that with his with uh, Dungey's injury background, we won't see a ton of design runs. I mean, we might not see any design runs. Like that just might not be part of the equation. So um, I trust him to make the right decisions there because obviously he's been you know pretty well proven as an offensive mastermind at his first two stops. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I think uh, we can probably transition a little bit. Um, speaking of just kind of the greater Baber stuff, like. On top of that, we had the Bill Tonnelly preview this week, which I'd say was a pretty rosy outlook uh, for the most part. Yeah, you read my mind. I was actually going to head right there. Um, yeah, for those who didn't read, please do. Um, we're going to try to dissect some parts of this uh, both here on the podcast and Sean and I were bouncing around some ideas from you know, some stuff Bill points out. Bill does a great job of really diving in from an advanced metric standpoint, and he's one of the only writers, if not the only writer, um, on the internet who, who can be completely objective and, and, and manner, manages to be positive about each and every team, even if it's in a silo. Um, but, you know, he saw a lot of the same well, things. Well, go for it, I was going to say, well, last year I was – he managed to be mostly uh, positive, but last year his entire headline uh, of the same piece was uh, – and I just looked this as I Googled Bill Donnelly Syracuse. Uh, 2015 Syracuse football, uh-oh. I remember you and I thought that it was a little bit of an overreaction, and, and I'm glad... That <laughs> and then he, it wasn't. Yeah, and then it wasn't. I'm glad that he did it, and I'm glad that, you know, we can kind of just turn the page on that. Um, obviously, the defense was problematic last year. I think it's going to be problematic this year, but I think it'll be problematic for different reasons. I think this year it's probably a little bit more based on a lack of depth, change in system, things like that. Um, I, I think that... Bill is even more optimistic about Babers' offense and how it can work with these pieces than I think we have been, which is, uh, which is awesome because, again, I think uh, Bill is a very objective observer. I think he's someone who um, has a good feel for, for the different offenses and different coaching staffs in, in, the, uh, in the country and kind of understands you know, how quickly a certain type of offense can take. Um, I don't expect us to be lighting the world on fire this year, but I do expect us to be averaging closer to 30 to 35 points a game and, and, you know, that, that's not just relying on that, like, every other game interception return for a touchdown we seem to have last year. I think this is going to be 
um, a bona fide offensive attack that is going to try to run teams off the field, and you're going to see, um, you know, early a, a couple. I think you're going to see the, the, the kind of the full range of tests. You're going to see, um, you know, what this offense looks like against an overmatched team in Colgate. Uh, you're going to see what they look like against um, a very good and talented team that that's more talented than us, like like Louisville. Um, you're going to see them against a much slower paced, uh, defensively minded team like UConn. Um, and then you're also going to see them, um, you know, against a team that's going to play similarly fast uh, like USF. So, so for me, as much as I hate maybe parts of how the schedule laid out, I, I think that you might, might, uh, keyword, know everything you need to know about the Syracuse offense uh, from those four games alone. And, and, and they know that, that story is pretty much written for us by the first week of October. Right, and, and if we, you know, go three and one to start, beat USF and, and UConn, this might be a pretty decent team, like a, a solid bowl team. Because uh, honestly, I didn't, th- I didn't mind this. I, we had a kind of quarrels about playing UConn because it doesn't bring them a lot. But um, USF and UConn, like when we scheduled them, seemed like they'd be two pretty decent bets on wins, and they both ended up being bowl teams last year. UConn beat Houston, USF torched us when they looked bad, and then ended up being really, really good. Um, for what they offer, you know, they were one of the four really solid AAC teams by the end of the year, maybe even the hottest one by the end of the year, and it really started with the win over us. So those games are definitely not pushovers um, at all. Uh, and then obviously Louisville sitting there in the second spot, which is always a team that you kind of feel like we might have a shot, especially because we have the the su- surprise factor and Louisville loses a lot of NFL talent on its defense. Um, but overall, like, we definitely will know. It's not like we're playing... You know, if, the, if this schedule turned out the way that it was probably uh, anticipated to, and USF was, you know, maybe a 500-ish AAC team and UConn was still a disaster, uh, we'd probably, you know, I'd probably feel a little better about that overall, but we might not quite have as, as good a, a read on what this team can be heading into Notre Dame. And now I think we'll, we'll know a good amount heading into Notre Dame about uh, how talented this team is and what the outlook will be. Uh, just really need to at least get a split from those two. Uh, and winning those two, I think, will we'll be in really good shape. Oh, yeah. And I, I think, you know, Bill pointed out, um, you know, kind of if, if we manage to beat Louisville, you know, all bets are off on what this team does. And, and, and I was kind of saying on Twitter to Sean, Sean wrote that article uh, today for those listening yesterday about kind of the five games that are going to shape this season. Um, I think Louisville, um, while it's not really a toss-up game at all, um, I think that, that, as Bill pointed out, is really kind of the, the, the bar if, if Syracuse can, can put a, a stop to Lamar Jackson, can put a stop to this Louisville offense, um, which is really rounding into you know, true Petrino form, um, and, and, and run them off the field, um, you know, even if it's a home game, not a big deal. Um, I, I think you know, suddenly you, you look at that schedule, and, and there's only three short losses left. That doesn't mean that you're going to win every game you're supposed to win and lose every game you're supposed to lose. But if you have three short losses left on the schedule— um, and you already beat one of the teams you're supposed to lose to. Um, it, it's kind of hard to argue with that positioning. I mean, if if, if you beat Louisville, you're probably probably four and zero heading into that Notre Dame game, and, and that's where things, you know, and you know that's where you need to calm, you know, ourselves, the lunatic fringe of Syracuse fandom, and everybody else for, from from thinking how far this team can go in just year one. I would couch it just like Bill did that the schedule's difficulty probably prevents this team from from having the wins and losses um, that, that it should, given how probably good it's going to be with young talent and a new system that, that actually fits it pretty well, even if some Rutgers fans were, were, were trolling underneath in the comments. 
Yeah, I, I think this will heading in. I think obviously the the whole system is different and everything, but it kind of reminds me what the outlook ended up being in tw- uh, 2009, Marone's first year, where we finished four and eight, which wasn't like a giant leap over the last year of years, one win, but the team was inches from making a bowl with the Minnesota game and the Louisville game um, and ended up, you know, it ended up working out for the following year. They made a big four win jump. Um, this year could be pretty similar. Like even if we only win four or five games, um, the biggest difference from 08 to 09, like you, you just watch that team and it, you, it just looked like such a more uh, coherent, um, well-coached team just overall, like just, just in watching it and, leaving the store out of it. Um, so I, I think that's what you really want to look for here. Uh, even if, you know, the wind, the, the winds don't jump from three to six or three to seven in one year, uh, as long as like the offense is clicking at, at, by year's end and looks, you know, you kind of have a really good feeling for what it's supposed to look like on a different night. Um, and the defense looks, well, I, I would hope the defense looked better because it was in total shambles for most of last year. Um, and just, Things look uh, like they they make sense and they fit together, uh, which has been such an issue for the Stott Schaefer Syracuse teams, especially on offense. Um, that'll be a big step up, and and that's when you you know you start to have these coin flip games, and then you you set yourself up for making the big improvement in year two or year three. Uh, so hopefully, even if you know it isn't back to bowl uh, bowl season right away, um, you're just in position where a couple plays and and you know that this team could compete with a Louisville or one of those other middling ACC teams. Where last year, obviously, they got up big for the Clemson LSU games, but then they play uh, some of the teams that are more manageable and just get run off the field. So that's that's the biggest thing. You, bowl, bowling would be uh, awesome in year one, and I think that would be a, a huge step. But as long as the team looks like it's, it's competitive week in and week out and not just, you know, when there's an emotional high going on, uh, that would be a big step forward. Yeah, I would agree. I, I I think a competitive five and seven um, would be better than you know, even last year. I, I think if we had gone six and six last year, I still would have been I was still would have been bummed with the outcome. If not because I, I was hating on a bowl game, but just because of how bad they looked in other um, instances. I think this year, um, I don't think they're going to get blown out by anyone just because of their ability to score points and and that. Um, that's a relief for once, um, you know, for Syracuse fans really haven't experienced this in quite some time. Um, I, I think, you know, whether we make a bowl or not, it is going to lean completely on the defense um, and completely on this Tampa too that we know, I feel like very little about um, given, you know, the relative youth around the Syracuse defense, um, given the fact that we return a lot of experience in the secondary, but I'm not sure how valuable it is given how bad the secondary was last year. Uh, we really don't know how much these defensive line changes are going to mean anything, and we're really one injury away from um, a pretty bad situation, you know, on that defensive line. I, I again, I think that if everyone is realistic, views this as a building block season, and, and if things go well, I mean, the, the offense is going to go well. It, it is. It's it's not to count our, our chickens before they hatch. It's just to say that um, you know this offense, this offense has proven to work at, at several stops. Um, we have the pieces to make it work early. Um, so I, I don't think that, that that has to really be much of a concern. It's just the, the concern from there is, you know, how high is, is the ceiling in later years. But when you think that, that most of the pieces on this in this offense are pretty young, um, Steve Eshmael is kind of like the, the elder statesman, um, al- along with uh, Brisley Esteem, um, you know, in this offense. I, I think everybody else, you know, you're really looking at, at mostly uh, – 
you know, sophomores and freshmen, or it was a junior as well, along with Ish. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you're looking at a lot of young guys um, who are going to make this offense click. Um, even if it's not 100% this year, even if it gets to 70%, that's still miles ahead of last year. You know, it's going to be a, a coherent um, scheme based on, you know, what this staff has done before. It's really just going to be based on what this defense can do, how they can hold their own. If they can, if they can even, if they can improve by 30%, we're, we're, we're bowling. I, I will, I will boldly take that for what you will say that. Right, and I think the big, the big factor on offense is going to be the offensive line. Um, going through Bill's preview, like just looking at the roster, you realize how much returns, uh, pretty much at every level. But the offensive line really got shredded over the last two years, and obviously last year it wasn't a great unit anyway. Uh, and then you lose, you know, your top three guys. Um, so if they can, you know, kind of make a, put it together and make it at least workable, I think this offense can be pretty good, um, even as it ramps up and uh, adapts to the system. Um, I think it'll help that the system is very predicated on quick release and getting the ball out and not wasting a lot of time. Um, that helps, you know, any any young offensive line just because they're not going to hold the blocks as long. But um, if they're decent, I think I think the uh, offense has a chance to uh, really make some some big steps and be pretty exciting. If they're not, then you know it might be a year before we are uh, really getting things going, things going. And hopefully, if they're not. That doesn't mean that Dungey is getting just shellacked. Although, you know, even last year, I, I don't think the line was was great, and Dungey's sack rate was still pretty low. So was Mahoney's actually. They they were both around like the mid five percent, which is, is is okay. So, um, hopefully that that doesn't improve uh, increase too much and creep up, and and hopefully the uh, the system will help uh, counter some of the offensive line issues. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. Um... I think that's a good place to, to stop for halftime. Um, although, I think before we get there, I do have to talk about one lingering fact before we get over to, to Mac previews uh, today, and that is the new Tulane helmets. Um, I want a helmet. I want a T-shirt. Wavy the Wave on the helmet is... Uh, I don't know what made Tulane think of it. I don't know what made them push for it. I applaud them wholeheartedly. This is now my favorite helmet in all of college football. I think the only thing that could possibly trump it is if uh, UConn rolled out a uh, old, like, 1960s Sad Jonathan helmet. <laughs> um, I've considered on multiple occasions, mostly while slightly intoxicated and reading Twitter and seeing a We Take the Stairs tweet, uh, buying a shirt or a hat with Sad Jonathan uh, to support my home state. <laughs> it is my favorite my favorite logo, and uh, Wavy the Wave, or uh, as... Ryan Nanny coined him uh, Wave Chappelle, which is also apparently <laughs> the name of a rapper. Um, amazing logo. It's like sad or angry auto is pretty goofy, but the wave making balled up fists. And we've talked about this logo probably eight times on this podcast before, so it's not even new information. But um, the fact that he makes balled up fists that are still made out of his, his water body just makes me laugh every single time I see them. He's the best. Like, he, he's so, like prototypically 60s like everything about him like it was just like this is what logos were is like like this is before like the, the, the anthropomorphic of, fighting things yeah. anthropomorphic <laughs> fighting things but not like not like it is now where everything's like anthropomorphic angry things where like everybody's logo looks like it was designed by the exact same person it's like let's just give this animal this thing whatever angry eyes um this was, <laughs> this was back in the day when like everything just just looked like it was going to fight you because it had its fists up ready to do so um yeah i i'm i much more support um this type of logo 
um, than the angry ones, and I think that uh, that Wavy the Wave is now uh, is now going to be one of the key uh, subplots to this college football season. If when we inevitably get forced into signing a home and home with Tulane again because we don't yes. have enough games, uh, which is going to happen probably in the next ten years, it just I feel it in my bones. It's going to happen in the um, next two weeks. <laughs> I think they are one of the teams that we could do. They, they as are, as, it makes. as I named, they are one of the only teams left that we can actually schedule if we don't want to put another P five on the schedule. At least, at least when we play them next, uh, when we have to go to New Orleans for it, even though there's no chance of us recruiting people from there. No. Um, at least we won't be playing in a not half, not even one tenth full no. uh, Superdome. It'll be in their new, actually pretty nice looking, still mostly empty on campus stadium. Friends and family day at the at the Superdome. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching that game with Duke, Duke McAllister on the call, and uh, it was it was harrowing how few people were in that stadium. And I was supposed to go to that game, and I had to cancel for family issues like a couple weeks out. Um, I'm I'm okay. We punted on that one because <laughs> man, there was like eighty people in, in an eighty thousand person stadium. <laughs> So, so rough. <laughs> so, yeah, as I was saying, I hope they wear those helmets when we inevitably have to play them there. I would agree. I hope they wear those helmets every week. Also, also yes. So, Dan, um, moving on from that, uh, what were you drinking this past week? Uh, a couple of good things, and I forgot to check into two of them now on uh, Taps. I'm going to try to remember them um, while I'm doing this. I went to uh, the fairly well-renowned Astoria Beer and Cheese, uh, which is a really amazing selection of just, like, single bottles. And uh, they had some stuff on tap, though. I didn't try any of it. Um, but I grabbed the two that I did check into uh, were uh, Omugang's uh, Fleur de Hublon Summer Ale, which was really, really good. Obviously, like, pretty weedy because it is Omugang, but right in their wheelhouse. Super refreshing. Really enjoyed it. Um, and then Evil Twins Sour Bikini. Uh, which is a sour session pale ale. It's Very only about three percent alcohol. It's awesome. You could probably drink a lot of them and enjoy yourself. Uh, the other two I had, one. God, I'm so mad at myself because I just opened this and like realized uh, I had forgotten to check in. Uh, I'll try to remember them while you're going. Um, I also had like a Del Shandy from Narragansett, which is I, I like had one before and I remember being really trash. And then like all you see when you live in the Northeast is you see like. Bros from Rhode Island and Massachusetts constantly talking about how much they like Dell's Shandy from Narragansett. Narragansett <laughs> itself is bad. Mm-hmm. It's like worse New England PBR. Um, Dell's is like, you know, famous like Lemonade. And it's just, it's a bad Shandy. You can find way better Shandies if you want a Shandy or, Shandy or a Rattler. Um, this is a bad one. So despite what your best friend from uh, Cranberry Beach or whatever tells you, uh, don't buy this Shandy. Just like make your own. Or go buy literally any other. Like, Curious Traveler is very good. Um, go, go buy any of the other ones. Not any, like, the, the like, Line and Kugel is even, like, significantly better. Dude, so, just go drink Grapefruit Sculpin instead. Or, yeah, or drink Grapefruit Sculpin you can find anywhere. Go yeah, drink that. It's fruity, it's delicious. Mango Even Keel, if you want something lighter. Oh, I had that one. That's one of the ones I had. The Mango Even Keel was really, really good. You're welcome. That was the other one I was missing. Um, I did enjoy fantastic. Mango Even Keel a lot. Yeah, it's 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 weight it's different than the Stolpin, which is nice. It's not uh but I, I really liked how they blended the flavors there. I thought the mango was was very it's a lot like the how they did with the, the grapefruit, less so with the pineapple. Um but like you know you're drinking a mango beer, but it's not like overpowering, it's kinda of just like a hint in the beginning and then you got a really nice like session 
uh, pale ale flavor, uh, super drinkable. So drinkability, always good for the summer. And that was kind of what I went for with the, my, my choices this weekend. Awesome. Um, I was down in San Diego, but I didn't drink as much as I would normally. I was with the, my in-laws, so uh, you know, kept myself in check um, as much as I could. Uh, I also like ordered a couple things that I like, kind of forgot how um, heavy they were, and then you know, once I got into them, like, yeah, like I really don't need to, I really need to drive myself to the ground for no reason. Um, so I went to Rip Current Brewing, um, and that is over, I believe it's in Vista, um, down in San Diego County, and I had an Impact Zone IPA which was pretty good, and I had the uh, Perling Pale Ale, uh, which was definitely on the lighter end, but still pretty good. Definitely enjoyed it. Um, I had when I went over to uh, Stone Brewing over in Escondido, had myself a couple different um, beers. I had a Table Saison from uh, Libertine Brewing, which was very, very good. Um, nice and light, nice starter. Um, had some Enjoy by 7.4. Um, I always try... I don't like run out to go get the latest enjoy by anymore um but i always try to get the seven four um just to be patriotic even in, in just beer choice um you, you mean you're not drinking america this summer oh i i will i already had i already drank in america unfortunately i uh <laughs> what the hell where was i was i oh i remember i was at some i was at some of my two of my best friends got married um and i and they had the only like uh, hotel nearby was this random like um kind of out like past temecula casino that was like indian resort casino so it was not really like a great casino in any way shape or form um but i had um basically was just drinking america while getting angry about the oklahoma city thunder screwing up their lead over the warriors so what you're telling me is that someone offered you a budweiser and you told them to meet you in temecula yep that's exactly what happened <laughs> Yes, you can drink drink America to support your favorite Belgian uh, Belgian Belgian conglomerate. Nah, yeah, I wouldn't even call them Belgian brewery. That's not unfair. It's a Belgian conglomerate, as opposed to the Belgian breweries, which are largely very good. And I will be visiting them next month. Sweet. Already, I will be. I will have plenty of, of stories to regale people with as I as I stumble my way around Cantillon Brewing for for upwards of two hours. I'm sure. Um, some of the other things I had, I had a, a Stone Footer Aged uh, Imperial Saison. Uh, excellent, excellent beer. Um, and then I had their Pilot Series Session Strong Ale, which I didn't know you could session a strong ale. Um, and I really, really enjoyed this one, actually. Um, it's not in stores, but if anyone can get down there, I would recommend it. Um, and then uh, Modern Times just released their uh, Pale Ale for the summer, Oneida. Um, they've done it before, uh, but spotted it in stores uh, yesterday so had it nice and fresh uh, definitely enjoyed that and we'll be having plenty more since I have some in the fridge um, I will have more beer next week since uh, I know New Belgium's um, what's it called uh, Fat Tire collaboration pack where they work with different breweries around the country and make different variations on Fat Tire uh, that should be in stores now if not next week um and then uh, Stone Mocha IPA is also hitting stores, and both of those will be uh, will be enjoyed and, and imbibed um, ad nauseum. I, whatever reason, like right before I was turning twenty one, I heard a lot about Fat Tire, and the first time I had it because it you couldn't find it in the New York area at all until recently. I didn't love it, and then I had it more recently, and I enjoyed it more. So I'm gonna have to look out for that. 
yeah, you uh, should definitely check that out. I mean, I I love me some Fat Tire. I uh, Fat Tire is something like I. They had it occasionally at Fagan's. I feel like I mean, that might be wrong. Might might have just been Anchor Steam there, but um, wherever I had it first, I remember like when I first started drinking better beer um, post college a little bit more. Um, there was this bar which I can't remember the name of now, which annoys me. Um, and it was like a block from my apartment in San Francisco, and I always would sit down and get uh, and just alternate between Racer Five and uh, and Fat Tire. And those were kind of, yeah, I drank those, like, as a rule. Um, you know, because, I mean, I was on an intern salary, couldn't really afford much. But, yeah, those, I, I knew this one bar that was $5 pints, and, and I would do I would do Racer 5 and, uh, and Fat Tire. So I, I will always, I always hold them both in high regard. I also got to try, like, Fat Tire bottled, like, two minutes ago um, at the New Belgium Brewery in Fort Collins a couple years ago, and... Uh, that kind of reminded me of why I enjoyed the beer so much to begin with. Just, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but very, very cool tour. Um, probably the best I, I have ever been on or will ever be on. So if you ever are in the Fort Collins area, w- would definitely recommend it. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Now the reason uh, we're here and no one else is. Um, action Preview. We are... We are talking Dino Babru's old stomping grounds, and uh, yeah, things should get interesting, Dan. Yeah, the, the Mac, I was thinking about it when I was doing my bit of research on the train ride back today. Uh, it's funny, because like, last year was kind of a signature year for the whole conference, um, but overall, I think like the big difference between the Mac, obviously location and geography, but the big difference between the Mac and like the Conference USA and the Sun Belt, which we've talked about the last couple weeks, um, it just seems like they're way better at branding <laughs> and they're way more like co- cohesive and, and they don't have a lot of movement and you kind of get a sense of like the rivalries and the inner conference, like, you know, the whole deal between the schools uh, where the conference USA and Sunbelt have just so, this conference, this constant shuffling. You never know who's in the league. Like, I feel like even average college football fans like know what the Mac's all about, even if like occasionally Temple's there and occasionally UMass is there and sometimes not. And UCF and Marshall and... Yeah, they uh, the MAC has not been the revolving door that pretty much every other conference has been, and that's really helped them uh, kind of carve out a place. I think between that and, and the midweek games, it's really kind of helped them carve out a place um, that's special to college football fans, especially passionate ones. I know you know Spencer Hall and Co. kind of coined MACTION, and it became like a copyrighted phrase from the conference. They've really owned it, um, you know. Even even with UMass at the end of the day, the, this this conference knows its identity. Um, it's a lot of fun offenses. It's it's a lot of you know kind of smaller state schools um, that are that might seem dwarfed by you know larger Big Ten programs, but doesn't really seem to matter to them. Uh, these are all just programs that that ebb and flow. Um, I think the unpredictability is also a lot of fun with the MAC um, because yes, while NIU has been very good of late. Um, no team is really able to string together a run like NIU has um, in recent years, and, and I think in general it's just a like it, it's just a league that, that no one really has much aspirations to head anywhere else, um, and that's in some ways that might sound sad, but most others it's actually just kind of fun that that this is a group of teams that really do uh, you know appreciate playing one another, appreciate the rivalries they have. Um, 
And yeah, I, I do hope that even though Eastern Michigan is garbage, I still think that they play an integral part in that as well. Yeah, it's like a weird, like, old world college football thing where outside of, like, the fringe teams, um, like, if NIU, like, if it's been 12 times in, like, calls NIU, which is a lot, people have bandied a bit, like, they'll probably go. Well, they will but go, the for AAC, sure. Yeah, but if the AAC did, would they? Like, I don't really know. It seems like, you know, maybe the pay bump would be worth it for them, but um, it just seems are are really into, like, what they have going on, and I think it helps them have the strength of numbers and they own the match and thing. They own like the midweek games. Uh, they're like the only show in town those nights. And, and they're obviously never going to get like the giant audiences, but those of us who watch, you know, 15 college football games every weekend, like we're down to watch the match and, and we, we get to know those players. We know like the big offenses. And then every so often you have a, a Ben Roethlisberger or, or last year, Matt Johnson, or, you know, these guys who put up big numbers every week and, and you get to appreciate this, this thing that, uh, is pretty stable, and you kind of know what's going on from year to year, which is nice. Mm-hmm. It's it's so contrary to like the rest of college football, where especially the the group of five, which is just like reordering deck chairs in the Titanic so half the time. Um, and in the MAC, like outside of you know, like we said, adding like some of those Eastern schools every so often and trying things out, like they're not totally opposed to trying to build a little bit and see you know what they can make work. But the the, the core is there, and I think that's been really good for them. It seems like they I don't know a lot about like the MAC. Uh, politics, but we seem to hear a lot less about it uh, compared to even like the Sun Belt and the Conference USA. Uh, and it seems like they they just seem to have more stable leadership at the top. Yeah, I think a lot of that's just because uh, the consistency. You know, no athletic pro- program uh, within the MAC is really outgaining anybody else's. Um, no program is really. I mean, NIU wasn't necessarily all that dominant before for the recent um, spell. I know Miami, Ohio. Um, it's fallen on hard times of late, but for a while was very dominant. Like no team has been able to establish enough of a enough of a national brand uh, to really kind of take over the conversation, which has been awesome. And you know, you even look at I'd say the two teams most likely to leave Northern Illinois and Buffalo. Um, even then, you can understand why um, they would want to leave. And, and even if they are a little outside of the traditional kind of way that that these schools run themselves, they still fit in really well. And I think that. Um, it's a lot of fun. I think that you know you end up getting to know a lot of these teams better than you do half the power conference teams. I mean, I'd say outside of us and maybe a few others, um, I don't think people have really invested in Syracuse in the last couple of years because they're not they're not on national TV enough. Um, and, and yet, you know, you, you probably know more about you know Western Michigan and, and you know insane PJ Fleck. Um, and, and you probably know more about Northern Illinois and you know more about Toledo and, and what Matt Campbell did there. And you know more about what Dino Babers did at Bowling Green than you do uh, probably the, the, the dregs of, of the P5 schools. Yeah, I think it's part of the reason why the Babers hire was looked upon so favorably from a lot of the people that are, you know, generally more critical of Syracuse or at least more speculative. Um, people got to see Babers do his thing for a couple of years, especially last year where they were before he left and the bowl game was really awful for them. Like they were a fringe, like top 30 ish team. Um, they were really good. So, uh, I think, and, and obviously last year was like the culmination of all this for the Mac. Uh, they haven't always been as good. And last year they had like four or five really solid teams, but even in the last couple of years, you've seen like Akron, which was a total, which basically like Akron and EMU were around the same level. Akron's kind of just built itself up to mediocrity under Bowden. And that's, a huge thing for them. Buffalo was, was awful for a long time. They had the one really nice year. And now outside of like their weird brand war with Syracuse, 
Um, they've become like a fairly decent program. Um, Miami of Ohio was bad last year, but they're good. You know, none of these teams except for EMU are down for that long. Like Ball State and Miami of Ohio weren't great uh, the last couple of years, but they've both been. You know, we saw Ball State go undefeated a couple of years ago under Brady Hoke, I and mean, Miami of Ohio uh, every so often has like a ten or eleven win year. So uh, it's definitely cool that everyone's been able to stay competitive, uh, which also helps. I think there, there's definitely. Even if not, you know, within a year, there's a, a couple bad teams uh, from a year-to-year basis. No one, except for Eastern Michigan again, like they, for whatever reason, just can't solve this. Um, no one seems to have, like, no hope on a different year. Yeah, and you know what? You brought up a good point with the coaches, too. I think, I know you did that thing, was it last year or two years ago, talking about, you know, when you hire, it might have been last year, when you hire, um, you know, offensive assistants are going to succeed at, like, twice the rate of defensive assistants when you're plugged into a head coaching position, um, I think Mac offensive coaches probably succeed at a higher rate than, you know, coaches plugged in from any of the other uh, group of five conferences, just because, you know, whether it's stability or the Ohio cradle of coaches stuff or whatever it may be, um, for some reason, Mac coaches, it's, they're almost always lauded by, by the school that adds them because it's a known product. Like you said, it's, it, it's more known than anything else um, that, that you're going to see from any of these other conferences. Um you know, the Mac's not on so early that the West Coast missed it. It's not on so late, like maybe the Mountain West, that the East Coast missed it. The, the Mac has become one of the more quantifiable leagues, and I think that that, you know, it just continues to be true, and you're seeing, you know, good coaches continue to get churned out and do well um, elsewhere, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, now that Babers is gone and Matt Campbell's gone, you're probably looking at, at, at you know, you know, insane Monopoly man, P.J. Fleck is the next uh, the next guy to do it. Yeah, it was definitely kind of shocking to see how the Illinois thing turned out because obviously Fletch just seemed to make a lot of sense there and, and good for him for holding out because, you know, another good year or two at Western Michigan, he can probably get a higher job. We've seen, you know, that seems to be a, a an interesting trend. Um, it used to be like you go and get the first Power 5 job you can. Um, you and get the right Power 5 job. Yeah, now, I mean, obviously, Babers went and jumped and, uh, we don't know if he had any other offers this year, but I bet um, he had Missouri. He probably had the chance to talk to some other people, even if he didn't have, didn't have like a true right. offer. He probably could have. Based on what Floyd Little said, I'm, other places. Yeah, based on what Floyd Little said, I would almost guarantee that Missouri was the other option, and that he turned Missouri down based on what was going on in Missouri's campus last year. Yeah, that'd be interesting because Missouri, outside of the the off the field stuff, which was you know really really. Like, it's tough to, to hire a coach in those circumstances, especially because it doesn't even seem settled now. Um, but Mizzou, like, seems like it could have been a good fit uh, in terms of, um, like, football-wise. It just seems like they're a team that is more open to playing a more exciting offense and something a little different for the SEC. Um, but he also, you know, we saw Syracuse where it's probably a little less pressure to put together something incredible right away. Um, he can kind of build directly uh, into what he, you know, he wants his team to be. He thought he had a new AD that was, you know, so he was going to be his guy. Obviously, that changed, but um, you know, there was definitely some playing in the dome is a, you know, could be a huge advantage for this offense. We've been people have been screaming about it for years. Like we have this indoor facility that seems ripe for a for a great, you know, fast paced offense, and we got approximately one year of it uh, in the last however many uh, coaches we've had. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, it seems like coaches, obviously Baber jumped for a power five job out of the Mac, but, uh, you know, in, after two years, but 
other guys like Flash might hold off for a bigger job. And then you, the other thing that you see more of now, and it's, uh, it's happened to uh, Pete Lembo from Ball State. Not happened to, he chose to do it. Um, I believe he left early for an assistant job, right, in the SEC? Lembo left for the Cowboys. Um, oh, he left for the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, who was it from Central Michigan left for the, for the Arkansas Right, that's what I was saying. I mixed the two up. But uh, they're kind of both the same thing. Right. Um, rather than, you know, you have one big year, and then rather than getting stuck and maybe kind of souring uh, at a max school, uh, you see others going to assistant jobs at higher level schools and then almost trying to, you know, build your way from there. So, like, if Arkansas bottoms out, no one's going to – I had to look up this coach's name, so it's – you know, we're not saying that guy over and over. Um, but – Rather than, like, you know, you have one good year at Central Michigan and then things go kind of stale and then you're no longer a commodity. Now you can point to, hey, he was a winning coach and then he went and did this thing at Arkansas and Arkansas was good. So you almost, like, got the experience, the, the requisite head coaching experience, but then didn't allow it to bury you if things didn't keep on going. So that's been an interesting trend as well that I don't remember seeing a lot of at all until, like, the last couple of years we've seen a couple of different coaches do it. Oh, Dan Enos. Yes. That guy. Knew I'd remember <laughs> it. <laughs> All right, so actually talking about the on-field product this year. Um, Dan, I personally think that Western Michigan, despite us grabbing a few of their top assistants um, at Syracuse, I, I do think that Western Michigan um, is your odds-on favorite to win. I think they returned a ton on offense. Uh, I think that they are, without Babers in the league anymore, and without Campbell in the league, I think they might become the embodiment of Maction. Um, they have a lot to replace on defense, especially in the front seven, but um, I, I think Western is has been the most talented team in the league for two straight years now. They've recruited um, at, at a better level than just about any group of five program, um, and it seems like they're poised that this is the year that they uh, they finally put it together and and, uh, and grab that MAC title that uh, that has eluded them. Yeah, I, I think on paper Western Michigan deserves to be the favorite here. Um, obviously they fell a little short last year, but, uh, in terms of just like pure returning the most talent, um, and the most experience, uh, they're bringing back a ton of that team. And, um, Fleck is just, he's recruited at a different level compared to the rest of the Mac. Um, obviously Bill C puts like the five-year uh, rolling rankings and they're, they're on top of those, but, uh, but that doesn't tell the whole story because Fleck's only been there for three years now and he's pulling in better classes than like the bottom of the big 10, um. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible what he's managed to do. Um, I'm not quite sure how. I guess there is a certain brand of kid that just really likes the idea of uh, boat rowing metaphors. Um, but <laughs> Strutting uh, Monopoly men roaming the sidelines and, uh, and former <laughs> Heisman contenders that are now coaches at Syracuse. Compelling, compelling yep. all around. He's just like super energetic. He plays a fun offense. Um, he seems to be a good coach. Uh and he's won like pretty pretty well off the bat, even though they were really bad before he took over. So um, I, I struggle to put another team there. Obviously, Toledo is always quite good, and they had some huge wins last year, but they lose a good amount. NIU um, brings back a decent amount, uh, but they seem a little less. They seem to have a little less of a high uh, ceiling than than Western Michigan. So I, I kind of agree with you there. The uh, I think they're probably the the on paper favorite to take this. Although as we were saying before, the MAC you really don't know uh, what can happen on a year-to-year basis. Like, last year, Central Michigan, um, you know, we blew them out in 2014, and they lost their coach, and they lost a bunch of other guys, and 
you know, we thought maybe they wouldn't be quite as good, and then they turned into a, they were a really solid team last year. So, granted, uh, and, the Eric Dungy injury also helped there last year. Well, in our game, it did. Yeah, in our um, game, but they were a very solid team. I agree. Yeah, they were seven and six, solid, solid team. Um, so, yeah, the MAC uh, just overall can't always predict it, but Western Michigan seems like a good bet there. Yeah, and you know what? Might as well talk about Central while we're there. You know, Central has. I mean, Cooper Rush is a very good quarterback. Um, I think we held him in check two years ago. I think last year we got lit up by him. Um, there's no excuse for that, you know, kind of Hail Mary touchdown to tie the game um, on Syracuse's part. But, um, you know, it is a testament to, you know, that, that they have, um, I think, between uh, Enos and then Bonamigo, like the, the two of them have really brought in um, better talent. I think Central's been one of the more consistent programs um, over the last 10 years. Um, in the MAC, but even this year, like they're a very talented group, and they could still finish fourth in the MAC West very easily, um, just by way of you know the three best teams, in, at least in my opinion, in the conference being in the same division. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I'm trying to pull up the thing now, my internet's being weird. Um, just overall, it seems like they they kind of took a. They didn't take the step back that was expected. Um, they have the quarterback. They have uh, some nice still players, although I think they, they do lose a few of the big guys that we saw on the team the last couple of years. Um, but it seems like Bonamigo wants to be there. Uh, for the most part, obviously, he left. Uh, he was coming from the NFL, right? He was a special teams coach. Yeah, and he's, uh, he's an alum. Yeah. We see him, yeah, so um, that helps. Which is always good. Not, not that that means you know much in terms of if Hi, Doug Maroon. Game. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I don't know. Maybe the Central Michigan... Uh, dream job thing runs a little deeper. I, I can't. I've never been to Mount Pleasant. I can't tell you. Um, but overall, he did a really nice job last year. They, they, uh, they didn't seem to like super outperform expectations. Except they, they wrecked Buffalo. Um, but they just did what they needed to do to win. Uh, they held you know pretty tight, obviously against us. Different ball game once. Uh, once Dungey went out, but they played Oklahoma State pretty tough, and Oklahoma State was really good. They played Western Michigan tough. Uh, they. You know, lost by five to Toledo, lost by a touchdown to Minnesota in the bowl. So they really didn't get blown out last year. The only team that that beat them by more than a touchdown was uh, Michigan State. And at that, you know, what are you going to do? Like Michigan State was uh, pretty damn good last year. So really, uh, they're an interesting team. Um, they don't seem to, you know, they're not going to wreck people, but they also seem to hang in no matter who they're playing. And it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up this year. Yeah, and you know what? They have a pretty interesting schedule this year. I mean, I had them around six and six, but. I could be swayed pretty easily. Um, I mean, they're going to lose that Oklahoma State game. Um, but then, interesting matchup against UNLV. There's some upset potential at Virginia. Um, obviously, they've got to play those three teams in the MAC West. But outside of that, um, you know, Eastern Michigan, Miami, Ohio, Kent State, like, Ball State. These are all winnable conference games. I think Ohio is going to be a very good team. But, like, Central Michigan, even if they even if they finish fourth, it's going to be a very good fourth. Um you know, looking at some of the other teams in the division, I think, you know, Toledo has to figure out how to replace Campbell. I think they take a step back. NIU, I know you brought up before, it's hard to really peg them right now because I don't think they've been as good um, under Rod Carey as they were under Dave Dorn. But then it's a question whether or not, um, you know, NIU under Dorn was based on, uh, you know, Jordan Lynch or whether it was based on Dorn because then you look at how NC State's done um, under Dave, and not nearly as good. I'd say less dynamic. Um, even Brissett, who was considered a very good quarterback for some reason, um, 
I, I was never really impressed by him. I was never really impressed by the offensive system that NC State's trotted out there. I don't hate on their practice to schedule bowl games and wins um, based on just deplorable non-conference teams. I think Syracuse should be doing the same, but um, it, it it does remove us from the, the, the fact of the matter that um, NC State has, has largely been very bad, um, especially in conference uh, since Doran showed up. I was going to say, uh, if NIU thinks they could be better with Doran, they just might have to wait a year. Yeah. <laughs> he might be uh, might be able to get him back, get the band back together. He's got a, I, I think he's got a mildly warm seat, but if, if NC State bottoms out without Brissett, I think he's toast. Yeah, it's just, I don't think he's done enough to, like, just outright fight. I don't think he's had, like, disastrous years. But he just, he's doing exactly what Tom to O'Brien be... was doing. Right, exactly. It's very stagnant, very, like, not a lot of spark. Like, can you get excited about NC State at all? Like, they, no. they play 500 ball. They play an awful schedule. They uh, maybe are competitive in Florida State uh, on a different year. I think, uh, I don't remember what they did it in Clemson last year, but... Just a very nondescript team. Yeah, they're uh, their fans are super jazzed about him, though. I mean, not about, maybe not about him, but they're always passionate about the team. I was down at the NC State game last year, and I mean, those people were were, were pretty excited, despite the fact that they were once again rooting for a 500ers team. I mean, I guess we should probably say that we'd take it. <laughs> I mean, I would. I'm not. As, I don't know that I want to take it for like that long. No, but I mean, I don't even have like the year by year numbers, but I'm guaranteeing that like. Year by year, like I don't think NC State since that like wacky like nine nine and three year like way back, um, and they've largely been like an eight win ceiling, but eight wins with the bowl ceiling, um, and they've they've I mean they have some good players admittedly, but moving back to the MAC, um, going a little bit into the East, I feel like we've talked enough about the West. Um, a lot of people think Bowling Green is still your. Uh, Still your odds-on favorite. I think they lose too much. I think losing the coaching staff the way they did, I think that the coaching hire wasn't great or all that inspired. Um, just, you know, like Mike Jenks, it's not any personal vendetta. It's just I don't think he did enough to warrant the head coaching job. Um, and I think the Bowling Green takes a big step back without Babers and this offense and all that. Um, I've got Ohio win the division. That's mostly just based on the fact that I think Ohio should be one of the most talented teams in this division every year. Yeah, Ohio's definitely an interesting one. Um, I think Bowling Green, they, they do still have some, some pretty significant talent. I think Roger Lewis is still on that team, right? He, he they, lost, wait. they lost Derek Dieter to Alabama. Uh, he transferred, but Roger Lewis, I think, is still there. And he was their number one. He's a really good receiver. Um, but obviously at, Johnson. Uh, did he go to Alabama now? Uh, Derek Dieter did. Oh. Yeah, I don't know where Roger I think. I think Roger Lewis left. Did he? Yeah, he's gone. Oh, well then. Um, who am I thinking of then? Because they do have... Uh, oh, Ronnie Moore, the, the third receiver, who was also very productive because in Dino Paper's offenses, you have three receivers with over 900 yards. Yeah. Which, as opposed to Scott Taffer offenses where... One receiver no would receivers, have over 400 yards. Yeah. <laughs> a slight difference. And Steve Ishmael, um, complete you know, talent in every sense of the word, was just wasted away getting three targets a game for the last two years. Yeah. Just for reference, since, you know, Bowling Green, obviously, connection there. Um, Derek, Derek Dieter, now at Alabama, had 94 catches for 1033. Uh, Roger Lewis had 85 catches for 1544. Oh, and Ronnie Moore had 72 catches for 954. And then their fourth receiver had 627 yards. 
<laughs> also more than anyone on Syracuse. Um, so that should be fun, because uh, I'm going to assume that not all of them are head over heels better than Steve Ishmael and Brazilia Steam and uh, everyone else that we have, or Phillips, uh, who's apparently playing receiver full-time. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it's hard to tell because you, you think that they would have tried to... Uh, it's almost surprising that they didn't try to make an internal hire, but obviously most of the staff came over with Babers. Um, so they're kind of... Uh, I assume they're not going to try to strap this thing entirely and, and because the, the offense has been super successful, but you can't really replicate what Babers is able to build there, even in such a short time, um, especially when you have like a 5,000, almost 50 touchdown quarterback and, and all those receivers... And uh, they lose Tra- Travis Green, who was, you know, a 1,300-yard rusher. Um, so, yeah, Bowling Green, uh, it would be pretty normal for them to take a bit of a step back. And uh, Ohio has Frank Solich, who just is still doing his thing. <laughs> so um, they've been kind of bubbling under as, like, the not-quite-top-tier MAC team, but they just seem rock-solid every year. Uh, and they have a, a very good coach, and... Um, I think uh, not. Don't have the stats up in front of me because computer's running pretty slow right now. But it seems like they they're kind of one of the more defensive oriented teams in the MAC from what I remember watching them last year. They are. They uh, they lock up compared to a lot of these other teams, which just try to get in shootouts. Which when you're like one of the only teams in a league that focuses on defense uh, at that level, um, sometimes you can throw kind of a wrench into people's plans, um, as we've seen from from other leagues as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, Ohio, I think, got better on defense, and their ultimate goal is to be a, a pretty good defensive team. Um, and there's a lot better defensive teams um, in the MAC, but where Ohio's really improved, I think, is on offense, where of late they stopped being this kind of, you know, grind them down group who was going to score no more than 21 points a game, and they've, they've managed to, to put it all together. So I think, yeah, I think the defense is, is well on its way. Um, Depending on who you ask, uh, their front seven is probably the best this conference has to offer. It's just they have a similar problem to Syracuse in that um, the secondary is a bit dicey at best. Um, like you said, Frank Solich is, is, is just kind of a, a weapon nobody else can really match um, in this conference uh, simply because you know he, he has so much experience. He, uh, he is a name that people still recognize, um, and it's... It's very hard to bet against them when, when Solich has them, you know, for, for over 10 years now, you know, winning eight games a year um, for the most part. Just that, yeah, they haven't, they haven't really captured that crown as much as maybe they should have. Um, that's in part just because other programs have been dominant, whether that's uh, Miami of Ohio um, or Ohio or Ball State um, jumping up there or, you know, NIU's recent run, Bowling Green. Um, there's just been – there's always been a school in his way um, – I think there might be a school in his way yet again um, here at Western Michigan, uh, but you know, nonetheless, I, I think Ohio's your probably your best bet in an Eastern Division that uh, that's really three deep at best, and those three are all still worse than like the top four teams in the West. Yeah, would you say the third is Akron? Uh, yeah, I, I would say the third is Akron. I think, like you said, Terry Mountain's is- done a nice job. Is Ohio-ish in that they play a little more defense than some of the other teams and have a big-ish name head coach. Yeah, big-ish. I mean, the last name is, is the familiar. last name is big. <laughs> yeah, and, and and he is he's just a very large human being in general. Um, that's uh, yeah. I, I'd say that that Akron is your oddly, despite not really recruiting very well. 
Um, I, I'd say that Akron is, is probably your third best. And then that's, you know, the testament to coaching and the fact that they've done a lot with, with Bowden and a smaller budget. Um, I think that most athletic programs, and again, little recruiting success, um, they've still managed to be, um, you know, a very good program over these last three seasons. Um, so I just had the nightmare scenario of the fact that there's a decent chance, just based on how Syracuse scheduling works out, oh that we're going to have a year where we both play at Tulane and at Akron. See, I, I floated the, the Akron nightmare <laughs> scenario, but the, the good thing is that no one from the staff um, that we faced when we lost to them at the Dome is still there. Um, we actually... We have one of them. We yeah, have Reno... We, uh, Reno Ferry. We actually decided to try to reverse the curse. By by taking a member of that team, uh, with the coaching staff, um, and bring them on over to us. Um, I know when I usually evaluate MAC teams as, as potential scheduling partners, Bowling Green seems like the most likely because of the obvious link with Babers. Um, Buffalo's an easy one if if we actually get on their schedule. Um, Toledo's never scheduling us again after the time that we uh, did not beat them but beat them anyway. Because uh, they were pretty bitter about that, and I guarantee they still are. Do you think people from Toledo and Wyoming get together like on a yearly basis and just complain about Syracuse? Like random Syracuse losses? Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, at least we had that return game at Akron, which I went to for reasons. Um, I, why? I, I don't know. Like I was like 20 years old. It seemed like a good idea at the time. I don't know. That's... We drove out there. Uh, we tailgated. Um, some Akron fan had a like 50-inch TV in the tailgate where they were playing... Kenny's two pennies clips <laughs> and making fun of him. Um, so I, I got to watch uh, Kenny in HD. Uh, the stadium is actually like not the worst. It's, it's actually kind of nice and it's newish. It's just tiny. Right. Uh, and uh, the city, uh, not that great. Um, I, I would assume and, now. And then we stayed over in a nearby town at like a shitty hotel. And then, I drove as fast as I've ever driven and got from Akron to about Rochester in about three and a half hours. Well done. And uh, then a giant burnout bus on the side of the road caused like um, hours worth of traffic. And uh, so it took about five to back to Syracuse. It's actually a pretty normal amount of time, despite the fact that I had been driving about 95 most of the way. So that's a, yeah. I, that I, was a trip to Akron. You, you go for a football game, you back to your hotel room, and then you drive away as fast as possible. Yeah, I buy that. I mean, honestly, like I, I questioned you, but but I really can't talk much. I mean, I've I've traveled three thousand miles to see Syracuse at Wake Forest, at NC State, and at uh, Maryland. So there's that. We won all three of those, though. We won two of those. We did we not. Lose NC... We lost the NC State game, but we did win at the end because Shot Safer got fired. Oh, you went to that NC State yes, game. I was, I was thinking NC the twenty thirteen one. No. Ooh. No, 2013 was the Maryland game. Right, okay. They were like the same game. Yeah, they were, they were exactly the same. Pretty much, pretty much the same game. Yeah, I think that's a good, <laughs> think that's a good place for us to end. <laughs> uh, uh, an adequate amount of Syracuse talk there, because yeah, we, we play Mac teams every so often, and Tulane happened, which, you know, the other, the, the second team of the podcast. Yeah, way to go us. All right, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk. I'm pretty sure we're on Google Play, but I can look that up. Um, no Syracuse teams are playing, but we are getting closer and closer to college football season. So a very, very preemptive go Orange. Go Jim Harbaugh stories.
I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.